For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Haro. When we're keeping score inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the pandemic preoccupies all of us. The American election preoccupies some of us. But we're all ready for deal-making issues three to one. Three. First of all, deal-making issue three, American political contributions. 183 owners from 161 teams showed owners have collectively given at least $15 million to federal candidates during the election cycle so far, according to USA Today. 86% of those funds going to Republican candidates or causes. Sports team owners have given a combined $1.35 million to Democratic candidates and causes this election cycle, presidential nominee Joe Biden included. And while more owners have given directly to Biden than to Trump, donations generally have been in much smaller amounts. Tellingly, 55 of the 183 owners haven't given any money to federal candidates so far, during this election cycle. Two. According to NFL research, fans' top concerns switch from the pandemic to the election affecting league business. The shutdown started in March and COVID stopped top the list of fans' concerns. NFL Chief Marketing Officer Tom Ellis told the Sports Business Journal the NFL sports poll tracker dated October 7 said 83% of NFL fans said they were very or somewhat concerned about the election compared to 81% who said the same about the pandemic. It was the fourth time in five weeks the election topped the pandemic, whereas prior to that, the pandemic held the top spot. Both topics rated very high all year, with at least seven in ten fans citing both the pandemic and election as big points of concern in every poll the NFL shared. Throw in high responses for civil unrest and a recession, and it's totally unprecedented for sports led by the NFL to have so many challenges breaking through one number one the nfl prepares ownership changes amid coronavirus the election and tax uncertainty the second time since the beginning of october the nfl has taken steps in anticipation of ownership stakes chasing changing hands the finance committee and owners will take a look at different templates one NFL team executive considered a memo to be reflective of the reference to the financial state of some teams, uh, which are losing billions of dollars collectively because of the pandemic. He suggested some may need to sell limited partnership stakes to raise additional capital. The reason that's big internationally, it's not just the NFL, but it's all over the world. And that's your deal-making issues three to one. One key franchise and business leader within that franchise the Orlando Magic. I was involved in the South Florida franchise as well as the uh, Orlando franchise, the two NBA franchises coming in in the mid-80s. The Magic gone to NBA Finals, the Heat gone to more, but it doesn't really matter. 
Alex Martins has been the CEO and involved with the Magic since 1986. He's a Villanova guy, worked with the Browns, University of Central Florida. He's really, really plugged in as to all of the comings and goings with the NBA, the pandemic, marketing, the bubble, the future. He even provided a guarantee that Joe Namath would have appreciated. Here's Alex Martins. Of Alex Martins, the CEO and president of the Orlando Magic since 2006, carrying the day. Alex, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be with you. The bubble, um, how life has uh, turned what is a terrible pandemic around the country. Um, and most people, if not everybody, thinks that from Adam Silver down, the NBA has acquitted itself uh, masterfully during the bubble, during the pandemic. You have the ability you know, not only to uh, be part of that world, but also be in the in the host city of the uh, of the bubble for so many months. So give us your kind of top down perspective on how you think things went. Well, I, I think you you stated it at the outset, uh, the leadership of our commissioner, Adam Silver, uh, through this entire time has been outstanding. And, you know, the staff that he has at the league office that uh, he entrusted and um, asked to execute upon the bubble uh, at, at Disney property uh, just did a spectacular job. Um, it was a Herculean effort, uh, one that everyone was certainly on pins and needles throughout, um, you know, not knowing what the pandemic would do while everyone was on the campus at Disney. And as we've seen, you know, from some of the, the other sports leagues and certainly from our society, uh, the pandemic can spread very quickly. And so as each day went by, we were certainly um, holding our breath, uh, hoping that uh, the positive cases wouldn't come and that they wouldn't spread amongst, uh, you know, the campus community of over a few thousand people. Um, that included at the outset, you know, 22 teams, which had 35 representatives uh, players and coaches and staff on each. And then, of course, the hundreds of people that it took to um, to, to certainly execute upon the bubble. But a, a resounding success, you know, the fact that we were able to crown a champion uh, in the midst of what we're going through as a country with this pandemic and to do it in a manner in which not one player or coach during the course of almost 100 days uh, tested positive for COVID-19 uh, it was it was quite an outstanding accomplishment, um, and one that you know I think from a from a competitive standpoint we saw some of the best basketball uh, that we've seen in our playoffs in many many years, uh, and one that certainly you know the Lakers uh, will not have an asterisk you know by their their championship uh, other than the fact that they went through some you know most challenging circumstances uh, away from their homes away from their fans away from their arenas, you know, to be able to be crowned NBA world champion. Hard to imagine the, you know, you think back at uh, April, think back at March, and you think of Rudy Gobert and the Thunder game and what happens. And, you know, you're a business guy and business people like certainty or at least business plans to deal with certainty. You know, what's it like waking up in the morning knowing you've done everything you could do, but you know, not knowing the, the level of the spike, the intensity of the spike, how it impacts players, what the tests could be during the week. Are you, uh, are, are you now uh, in your fifties going on 80 or have you kind of lived it? Uh, <laughs> are you okay. 
<laughs> well, you know, like any other business, uh, you know, certainly the sports industry has learned over the course of the last six months to operate in a much different way. Uh, we as an organization, just like the majority, if not all of uh, our teams uh, in our league, as well as our league office, continue to uh, work from home, operate from home. You know, we all have become experts in Zooming, uh, for sure, uh, as we, we spend the entire day on Zoom meetings. But, uh, you know, it, it's been a challenge. There's no doubt about it. It's been a challenge in terms of uh, your your staff and, you know, keeping the morale up and keeping them informed and uh, as well as, you know, staying connected with your fan base and, and with your clients. Um, so it's, it's taken a lot of work, a lot of communication in particular, uh, a different approach, but, you know, I, I'm very pleased with the way we as an organization have handled it. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, our, our, our business, um, has held up quite well under the circumstances. Um, we've signed on a number of new corporate sponsors, you know, during this work from home pandemic period. Uh, as well as, you know, gone through a very successful renewal of those whose contracts have, have come up uh, for renewal. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's just about staying in contact with our fans and uh, creating uh, virtual experiences for them with our players and with our coaches and uh, with our front office staff to stay engaged with them. Um, and, you know, as we all wait now to see what happens with uh, the beginning of the uh, 2021 season. Keeping those fans engaged is incredibly important so that when it is uh, the time when we can welcome them back into our arenas, uh, even if it is a small percentage to start, um, you know, they're, they're ready to go. We've stayed engaged with them and, uh, you know, we've, we've treated them in a way that, uh, that they feel very good about their association with our organization. Let's dig deeper on that for just a minute because it's an inherent issue uh, depending on whether um, uh, teams made the playoffs or not, y'all are in the same boat relative to a pretty intense group of fans that you define as uh, season ticket holders. And then there's another group of fans who are only less intense, but could be t- ticket holders. And you know, they're interested in the team because they'd be in the arena, but for the fact that there's nothing in there, what, what can you do uh, as far as uh, uh, at home fan engagement uh, you know, unique content. So what, what, what do you do to treat them in some kind of a special way until they're able to come back to the arena? Well, a lot of it has been centered around virtual events, you know, to be honest with you. I mean, we've had, um, you know, uh, lunch hour, um, discussions, you know, with, with our front office staff, our, our president of basketball operations, Jeff Weltman and our general manager, John Hammond, our head coach, uh, Steve Clifford, uh, some of our players. We've also done happy hour uh, timeframes, you know, where we gather as many of our season ticket holders um, as possible on a Zoom and uh, stay engaged with them, keep them informed about, you know, our team uh, and, and what's happening, you know, during this period of time. Additionally, we did have uh, the opportunity to have one of our content producers in the bubble. Um, you know, as one of the 35 representatives of the of representatives of the organization, where we were able to get some real unique content, you know, from the team while they were uh, going through the playing games and then ultimately through the first round of the playoffs and delivered that specifically to our best clients and to our best fans. And so that level of engagement it was something that they felt good about. 
Uh, you know, they felt close to the team, even though they weren't able to be there in person. Uh, and then we continue, you know, to deliver as, as much possible content as we can, you know, now being the off season uh, to stay engaged with all of them. But these virtual events is primarily where we focused uh, and we've tried to do them on a weekly basis. Uh, and we have done them on a weekly basis uh, for various, um, you know, segments of our of our consumer base and in particular our, our season ticket holders. And we feel good about the fact that we stayed engaged. Uh, and I think the fact that the majority uh, have hung in there with us have maintained their level of account, you know, their, their uh, money on account, et cetera, during this period of time um, is, is a great indicator that they're all anxious to get back to seeing games in person when that time happens again. Let's emphasize that for a minute because it's important with all the people that I'm talking to in your position. That, that, that's one of the key indicators for them, um, how many of their <clears throat> avid fans uh, trust the organization enough where they basically roll over their obligation and uh, and ride with you for a year. And uh, most people in the industry, I've found, because they're at your level of professionalism, have met with a very positive response there, which I think also talks about the power of sports, but it also talks about the great care with which you covet your season ticket holders. Without a doubt, Rick. And, and you know, the power of sport is one that um, all of us have uh, an opportunity to escape from our day-to-day lives. And we certainly saw it when, when sports came back, um, you know, after its hiatus, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, when, you know, the NHL started their bubble and the NBA started our bubble. And we started seeing things like the rescheduled Kentucky Derby and U.S. Open tennis, et cetera. And uh, although hut levels at this time of year are typically lower than we're accustomed to during our, our playoffs, people still were clamoring uh, you know, for sports viewing and, and sports engagement. Now, that's not the same as being there in person, don't get me wrong, but um, it, it still is an escape from this period of time that we've all, you know, been going through. So uh, the, the level of, of anxiety is there for fans to get back into uh, arenas and stadiums, uh, and we've started to see some of it with, with the NFL, obviously, in college football, but at uh, reduced capacities if you will. And, and certainly that experience is not the same, you know, when you're not filling the stadium or the, or the arena. Um, but once we do get, you know, past the spring and hopefully into next summer, when uh, we do have widespread uh, access to a vaccination for, you know, the pandemic and we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, you know, I, I know our fans are all anxious to roll that money over, as you say, uh, you know, from this past year and, and put it back into their investment of, uh, of rooting for their local teams. Quick, quick conversation relative to television. It's something that the uninformed kind of don't really understand. Um, I've seen a lot of the uh, NBA death knell television ratings, awful um, arguments. And, and, and uh, when you take a look at, as you said, hut levels and seasonality and um, uh, dilution, and all of those arguments are really important. I'm sure you have a take. But also, recently, something under the radar, you see all the streaming and all the social media uh, up to a 20 million number. So, you know, clearly it's not a one-way street relative to decline. Give me your overall sense of, of, of national media, national new media, and how you feel about that. Well, a couple of different thoughts. I mean, first and foremost, you know, thanks to our, our great partners, 
not just at the national level, most importantly at the national level, but also at our uh, local regions, you know, with our, our regional sports networks, uh, if not for them, you know, this, the ending of, of this past season from a business standpoint would have been disastrous. Um, you know, we got through 75% of our season in the NBA. So, you know, we lose 25% of our in arena revenues, ticket sales, concessions, retail, et cetera. But we were still able to realize a hundred percent of, you know, our revenues relative to our national media partners and our regional sports networks, because we were, be, we were able to still deliver on our promise of the content uh, and deliver those games, um, you know, for, for them to broadcast uh, and, and the like. And, you know, the, in, in terms of ratings and, uh, you know, where people are watching and how people are watching under the radar, as you say, you know, relative to streaming, you know, I think for the common fan to, to sort of ascertain and understand before our industry, definitely not. Uh, because by far, uh, streaming is taking a greater and greater percentage of eyeballs away from, you know, traditional network and cable television broadcasts. And so we as an industry, you know, both with our partners and as a league, as teams, uh, you know, are certainly doing a full evaluation of where that goes next. Um, and, you know, the, the great news is, is that people are still watching. It's just that it's not being measured in ways that it's been measured in the past, i.e. Nielsen ratings. And, yeah. you know, Nielsen, Nielsen, you know, has, has not, uh, you know, done a combination of all eyeballs watching NBA games relative to traditional methods and streaming methods. And thus it, it may look on the surface like there's a, a, a drastic, um, you know, delineation uh, between those, those, um, those, those platforms. But, uh, as we look at it with our partners, it clearly is a big part of where we go next, uh, you know, with our, our rights negotiations and with our rights partnerships. Um, and uh, the world is changing. And it's, it's not just about cord cutters anymore. There are cord nevers now uh, where people never, you know, uh, engage with a, a local cable uh, operator, you know, in order to get their, their, their content and, and, you know, their entertainment. So um, it, it is changing relative to our industry, as we all know, uh, and the way in which we measure it uh, is in flux at the moment. Uh, but what we do know from our partners is that uh, people are still watching at a great rate, and there's a great desire for our partners to expand their relationship with us to include streaming opportunities for the future. I guess uh, it, just a couple more quick ones, and this is a really important yeah. point, is that uh, that as long as as you're doing this in consultation with your your advertising uh, uh, partners, and they understand the metrics that matter, um, it, it almost kind of doesn't matter what the pundits say relative to, you know, Nielsen up, Nielsen down, and and people who have been visionary in the industry have known this for a number of years. You know, let the pundits speak, but the whole idea of um, is it because of social injustice? Is it because of a bubble that people are tired of it. Is it because there are no fans? Um, uh, pretty much you're, you're moving on to that is not the issue. The issue is how do you make the product better? And it's certainly not weighed down by lower television ratings. Without a doubt. And, you know, there's still um, an incredible appetite 
um, you know, nationwide and throughout the world for sports programming. Um, you know, as, as you discuss this with all of the analysts, you know, there's still a belief that, um, you know, uh, sports viewership and ultimately uh, sports rights um, investment, you know, by uh, whether it be the traditional networks or now as we start to see investment by you know, the likes of, you know, YouTube and Amazon and Netflix, et cetera, um, there is still an incredible appetite for sports content and sports programming. And um, totally agree. Totally agree. Here, yeah, here's, yeah. here's my final question relative to, uh, to you, you know, you, you quickly divorce yourself from the basketball side of the business, which is uh, brilliant and accurate. Um, I've been looking at the, one of the articles, I guess they must've attributed you incorrectly because nobody guarantees anything anymore, but, but apparently you said that you were going to get a, gonna you were gonna win one by 2030 now you're not running out of time yet is that were you, were you misquoted or are we are we all uh are we all kind of driven by your uh, uncompromising faith in the fact that you're going to be holding the trophy up in the next 10 years <laughs> well of course as as you know those type of things can come along it was it was how the question was asked and um you know the question was asked in the context of you know, do you believe that you have a, a chance, you know, to yeah. win a title by 2030? Right. And of course, you know, we, we always believe that, you know, hope springs eternal every single at the beginning of every single year. Uh, but we have great confidence in our uh, basketball executives and in our ownership because of their level of investment in the organization that, you know, we've been there before. We've been to the NBA finals twice, unfortunately, weren't able to hold the trophy up at, at the end of it. But you know, we're confident that we're going to be able to get back there and, and hopefully the next time be holding that trophy. Alex Martinus gives us some real perspective. Let's deal with the Sports Tech Minute. Google antitrust case draws industry eyes with digital rights in play. Department of Justice has brought the historic case against Google. In the words of Attorney General William Barr, unlawfully maintaining a monopoly in general search services and search advertising in violation of the U.S. antitrust laws. If successful, the lawsuit could dramatically alter users' Internet experience, including, for example, fans in the industry who deal with their time and dollars. Sports marketing executive and Princeton Football Association president Frank Vono, who has decades of experience, says you have to consider Google as a viable contender for rights agreements as they get renegotiated. The leagues are looking for more and more digital competition. If Google and other large technology companies are forced to operate on smaller scales, Vono warned the leagues might lose out on that competition. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Welcome in to the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Hora. I'm Mitch Reeves from the Esports Network. The League of Legends World's Finals happened this past weekend and showed why it continues to be the biggest and most important esports event in the world. If traditional sports fans need to be familiar with one esport, it's League of Legends. This year, the game celebrated its 10th anniversary, and if you compare League to where the major sports leagues like the NFL and NBA were 10 years after creation, you see the trajectory of esports at large and the record-breaking pace that League of Legends is on. This year, Riot Games, the developer of League of Legends, pulled off a complete bubble system similar to the NBA's but in Shanghai. If anything, the bubble was more difficult considering the teams from around the world came to compete. Viewership numbers for this finals won't be released for a few weeks, but last year Nielsen calculated the average minute audience, or AMA, at 21.8 million for the finals. That's higher than the average for the NBA finals or the World Series. That number has gone up every year, so that trend will likely hold true for this year as well. 
In addition to the viewership is the brand partners. MasterCard presented the opening ceremony and was placed on stadium signage inside the game itself, the first time that's ever happened in esports. Louis Vuitton created the trophy carrying case, similar to what they do for the FIFA World Cup. Most of the other brands associated with this year's competition come from China, including the other global partner in addition to MasterCard, Oppo. The winner of the tournament was Damwon Gaming from South Korea. The country has long produced the top talent in League of Legends, although China has had the upper hand recently. Of the 10 World Finals winners, 6 have come from South Korea, 2 have come from China, 1 has come from Europe, and 1 from Taiwan. North America is the only major region that has never had a team win Worlds. This year, all three qualified teams from North America were eliminated in the group stage. That's all for this eSports Minute of Keeping Score. Now back to Rick Hora. Let's now look at the Good Sports Minute. This week, voting and the philanthropic issues of it probably take up the most space. The athletes, such as LeBron James, fighting voter suppression. He signed up more than 10,000 poll workers to help shorten wait times in critical battleground states. And more than a vote also teamed with Michelle Obama to host a series of events across the U.S. encouraging people to cast early ballots. TV networks take different approaches with the NFL Votes Initiative. Obviously, bottom line is they try to get out the vote as much as they can and they're able to. 90% of NFL players registered to vote. Comforting to know the NFL Players Association and the league were able to justify the work that's been put in to get people to register. Then finally, Steve Kerr adds an assist at the Chase Center voting location. The Associated Press said Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr cast his vote, then spent some time greeting others who visited the ballot drop-off location at the Chase Center. He handed out Warriors-themed blue I Voted stickers. The Warriors' former practice facility in downtown Oakland will also be a voting place and is a voting place. Team's G League Arena in Santa Cruz is one and was one as well. Bottom line is... We'll return to normalcy next week, most probably, but this has been a major issue and will continue to be. Finally, the Lifestyle Minute, Enid Vianna back. She's an expert and wellness writer, the editor of two websites, the evsocial.com, covering entertainment, wellness, fashion, and travel, and hamptonsmoms.com, addresses all things family on Long Island's magical East End. She contributes content to various magazines and websites, such as Hamptons Magazine and ArtSugar.com, and follow her on Instagram and EV Social, Hamptons Moms. She says, with the Latin American population ever-growing in the U.S., and ad spends are starting to reflect the importance of the Spanish-speaking sport fans. Over $24 million spent in Florida on Spanish-language broadcast TV from January 2019 to Election Day, used to reach the Puerto Rican, Cuban, and Haitian populations in the state. Orlando's seen nearly $5 million spent on the Spanish-language broadcast TV during this time, compared to less than a million during the entire 2016 presidential election cycle. Over 30 million Hispanic sports fans in the U.S., so it's about time the ad spends reflected that. Hispanic viewership extending past soccer and growing exponentially to NBA, NFL, NHL, golf, and beyond. It's about time the sports industry started paying attention to the growing minority. Looking forward to seeing more crossover advertising and beginning to see Hispanic sport figures taking some endorsement deals and bridging the gap between the two worlds a bit more. Arepas at the Super Bowl, I'm so in. 
Kiko Alonso and Blake Martinez landing some big Coke, Gatorade, and Budweiser deals. I think the world is ready for it, she says, and who can argue? Thank you to Enid, and thanks for you all to listen and watch Keeping Score. We'd also like to thank Alex Martins for participating in his perspective from the Orlando Magic. Join us next week when we continue to keep score. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.